Well, here we are again. Welcome back to Bible Time. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 4. We didn't quite wrap up. We didn't finish. And then verse 5 is what we're trying to get to today. Let's read the two together. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. There's a whole lot here, a whole lot more than we can possibly fit into another Bible time or maybe even into a whole series of Bible time messages. So we're just going to try and trust the Lord and preach what we've got. Uh, We need to pray. I need you all to pray for me that God will give me wisdom, utterance, and unction. I need you all to pray for me that God will keep me humble. Help me to preach this with a humble spirit, but not to back down whenever I'm preaching the Bible and I'm preaching right. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask all these things that I've just requested prayer for, and you heard them, and you know that my desire, Lord, is to glorify you, and Lord, that I would not preach error. I do not want to um, lead anyone astray, Father. I don't want to lead anyone down a wrong path. I want to be right with you. I want your words to be right. Lord, I'm going to give an answer at the judgment seat of Christ, Father, for what I've preached in your name and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And I want to accurately represent your son, Lord. And if I preach something wrong, I pray that you'd show me so that I can make it right. But most of all, I pray, Lord, that you'd protect me from error, protect me from preaching things that are wrong, Father. Protect me, Lord, from my own stupid opinions and the stupid opinions of other people, Lord, because we're all just people. And we need your help, Father God. We need your understanding. We need your enlightenment. We need your we need your um, Holy Spirit, Lord, to come and fill us and lead us and help us, Lord, so that we can understand your word. Lord, it's it's a really simple book, but we're worse than simple, Lord. We're foolish, and we need your help, Lord, to understand this book, and we confess that and ask for your help today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now, in 1 Corinthians um, 13, I believe it's verse 12, he says, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. He says, now we know in part. Let's go ahead and turn there real quick, and let's look at that before we dive back into this. It's absolutely essential that when we're we're dealing with things in the Bible that sometimes are not absolutely clearly spelled out, that we keep a very um, humble heart before God. Because whenever we get dogmatic about something that God's not not dogmatic about, it will lead to schisms in the body. We need to be absolutely right with God, and we need to absolutely stand. The Bible says, earnestly contend for the faith as it was once delivered to the saints. We need to earnestly contend for the faith, and we need to have some fervor. We need to have some heat and some zeal in how we deal with the doctrines of the Word of God. We, it should matter to us. We're not getting up here talking about the best way to splice grapevines together or prune a cherry tree. We're not talking about the best time to plant your corn and your sweet peas today. We're talking about the things of God. We're talking about the Holy Word of God and there should be some zeal and there should be some fire and there should be some, it should matter to us. It should should get intense sometimes. And there's some things that we need to be dogmatic about. Dogmatic means that you're going to stand and you're not going to back down and you're going to bark as loud as you can bark even when people yell shut up he says here um 
when I was a child in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Now that glass that we see through darkly, you can find in the Bible, you let the Bible define the Bible, I believe that's um, 2 Corinthians 3.18, let me see if I've got the right reference here. Uh, yes, there you go. Second Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So this is dealing with the minds of the Israelites being blinded back in verse 14 and a veil. Look at that in verse 14. Until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. So this um, old, the Old Testament specifically, and by extension, the scriptures here then are that which they are blinded to. He says in verse 16, nevertheless, or look at verse 15, but even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, Moses being the scriptures, particularly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding us in the glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So we're all here, if we're trying to understand the Bible, if we're reading the scriptures, trying to rightly divide the word of truth, we're all in this boat together, in the boat of beholding in a glass darkly. And we're beholding here, dependent completely on the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit of God, and desperately needy of his help. And when that day comes that we see him face to face, we will realize we knew in part some things that we thought we had figured out perfectly. There's going to be some things that we go, wow, I only had the hem of his garment. I thought I had the whole thing and all I had was the hem of his garment, just the very edge. There's so much more here. We have to keep a humble heart in the scriptures. At the same time, when you get a hold of the hem of his garment and you know you got the hem of his garment, you better let every, you better preach it straight and you better stick with the hem of his garment and you better be dogmatic about it and you better hold fast to it. When God gives you light, you hold to it, you stick to it, you preach it, you shout it, you proclaim it, and you teach it. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I am not advocating the trap and the pit where we say nobody can really understand the end times. Nobody really has the answers. That's a lie from hell. That's a lie from the devil. God wants you to know. Here, In fact, here in 1 Thessalonians, he says in verse 2 of chapter 5, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So there are things that we can know perfectly about the day of the Lord. There are things that we can know perfectly about eschatology. There are things that we can know perfectly about doctrine in the Bible. But there are also things that we cannot know perfectly because we know in part. And God has given us enough to grasp and enough to go on and enough to follow him, but he has not given us enough to correct him. So watch out for this trap where they say nobody can really know. And then they all jump in and give their opinion as if it has equal authority to the word of God. And it doesn't. 
The Bible is the sole authority. The Bible is the final authority on all matters pertaining to life and doctrine and everything else in this world. Verse four again, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. So this here, you think about how he says that we behold in a glass darkly. And here he says, brethren, ye are not in darkness as that, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So there's some things that are dark and there are some things that are not. And here the apostle Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, you are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. This ties in with the verse we'll look at next. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. There's so much here. I can barely keep my mind disciplined enough to stay on my outline and stick to the task because there's so many ways that this could branch out in so many different directions we could go from this one verse and we'll try and let God take us down the roads he wants us to go down as we go so let's just keep moving here Uh, we looked at Matthew chapter 24 and um, go there real quick and we we had to end rather abruptly last time Um, we just ran out of time and Matthew chapter 24 there is Jesus's answer to the disciples often called the Olivet Discourse by the talking heads of religion remember a lot of these fancy names they just come from commentators they're useful handles in some cases but stick with your Bible It's okay to call it the Olivet Discourse, but don't get heady about it. Okay? It's just Jesus talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. That's all that that means. It sounds real fancy, and it sounds like you know a lot whenever you say it. But. It really just means Jesus talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And he did that many, many times. It was his habit to go out to the Mount of Olives. He he was very often on the Mount of Olives. And this was not the only time that he spoke to them. But this is the biggest section of scripture recorded from the Mount of Olives. And that's why it bears that name um, to a lot of people. So here Jesus went out and departed from the temple. We're going to zip over Matthew 24 and just give a refresher real fast. And then get into Matthew 25. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Remember that the Jews were looking for the kingdom now. The Jews were the original kingdom now theologians. Kingdom now theology has been around a long time, and it has been wrong a long time, and it has, de- and it has deceived a lot of people for a long time. And the Jews here were good people, and here you have the disciples. These disciples had gone out two by two, um, healing, casting out devils, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and they were called apostles by Jesus Christ they were revered they had they had a name in Israel these guys were big shots they were followers of Christ and yet they were wrong about their eschatology because they thought that the day of the Lord was now they thought that the kingdom was coming now and Jesus knew that and in order to teach them eschatology he had to first 
per- he had to first deal with this inward zeal for the kingdom of heaven to come today. So he says to them, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that did not fit with the disciples' kingdom now theology. You see, the disciples were following the king and the disciples were preaching the kingdom and Jesus was preaching the kingdom and they thought that the kingdom would come and that the king was going to sit on his throne today or maybe tomorrow, but that Jesus Christ would take the kingdom and that he would do it without any interruption. But Jesus had an interruption in store for them. Jesus had an interruption in his mind and in his heart. And that interruption was the space of grace and the age of grace that he would give his people and the birth of a Gentile church, a bride for this Isaac, this son of Abraham, this son of the father, the son of God, Jesus Christ had a bride that he was going to get out of the Gentile world. And this the disciples could not see. So Jesus said, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And just exactly as Jesus had planned, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And that's exactly what Jesus was waiting on. Jesus is the master teacher. And Jesus had flung out this little prophecy and he stuck it out there like a piece of candy in front of a child left it sitting right on the edge of the counter waiting for that child to go back and reach for it so that he could have a teaching moment and he could teach his disciples what he wanted them to learn possibly all day these disciples sat there wondering when shall these things be wondering all day long when will this temple be destroyed this temple that we lay so much stock in their minds were buzzing their hearts were burning and they came to Jesus with this question they came to Jesus with this desire and that desire is the greatest key to teaching teaching people who don't want to know is impossible you cannot teach somebody anything if they don't want to know it the old saying you can lead, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink here jesus had the the oats salted as they say and here came that that this that group of disciples looking for the answer to the question And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? But they didn't stop there. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Three questions that give us the three main points to Jesus's sermon before he ended with his um, discourse on the day of the Lord. Jesus wanted to teach them about the day of the Lord, but before he could teach them about the day of the Lord, he had to teach them about these things. And there were questions that had to be addressed. And Jesus let them determine the outline for his message here in an act of sovereign condescension. It says here, Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name and say, saying, I am Christ (coughs) and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And here the um, the end then, the third and final question is the first question that Jesus picked up. You can study this out. Look at the keywords. Look at how Jesus answered the question. Look at the care that he took. The end of the world is here from verse 4 in chapter 24. 
down to about chapter 20 or verse 22. And here he says that, that famous verse, they that endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. We talked about all these things and the ramification of things that Jesus Christ here is talking about the end of the world. Here's, he's here not talking about 70 AD. He's not talking about the destruction of the temple. He's not talking about the rebuilding of the temple or of his coming. He's talking about the end. Then down in verse 23, Jesus picks up, then then if any man shall say unto you, after those days in verse 22, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And he goes down here and speaks of the lightning coming out of the east, even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Here you have Jesus Christ preaching the answer to the second question. And this is of Christ's coming. They asked for the sign of thy coming. And here Christ gives them, first of all, a two-part coming. He mentions the lightning coming out of the east, shining even unto the west. Then in between that and and the uh, sign of the Son of Man in verse 30, we have a tribulation that happens that's mentioned in passing. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. So you have the Son of Man coming and gathering together the eagles, the carcass, the dead body. We got that from um, the book of Isaiah chapter 26 and I believe it's verse 19 for where and here our text says for wheresoever the carcasses there will the eagles be gathered together immediately after the tribulation of those days so here Jesus establishes again and reinforces again the pattern that's found throughout all of the scriptures that Jesus Christ will come through the sky for his bride for his church and gather them up followed by a tribulation followed by the sign of the son of man in heaven then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven we looked at how that is Romans which speaks of the election and the remnant of the Jews this is speaking of the 144,000 this is speaking of the elect Jews that will be gathered from one end of heaven to the other now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Now the fig tree gets into the pre-tribulation Jew. The pre-tribulation Jew. The Jew is the vineyard in the millennial reign and it speaks of the fig tree at, um, before that time. <coughs> I don't have that all studied out and ready. I couldn't really get into that if, if you wanted me to right now. I, I'd have to study it more. But in any case, it's there. You can look all that up. Um, so here he begins with the fig tree. He, he speaks of the gathering of the elect at the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. And then he goes into this parable, the fig tree. He says, so likewise ye when ye shall see all these things... All these things know that it is near even at the doors. Here he is not speaking about the sign of the Son of Man. That would be ludicrous for Jesus Christ to say, they will all see Jesus coming in heaven and all the tribes shall mourn. And then when you see these things, then you know that it's even at the doors. Well, that would be ludicrous to say when you see it, it's already happened. It would be more make more sense for Christ to say that because these, th- um, these things that he's talking about here 
are not the things that he was speaking of in the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. These things are the things that he spoke of at the beginning of the chapter. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another. This short-term prophecy gives validity to the long-term prophecies. God often does this. He often couples short-term prophecies with long-term prophecies so that you can see the fulfillment of the short-term prophecy and see that the long-term will surely come to pass. Many examples of that throughout the Bible. Then in verse 36 or in verse 34, he says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And that happened 40 years, which is God's time for a generation. About 40 years later, Titus and seven AD destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple. There was not one stone standing upon another. This generation did not pass till all these things be fulfilled. You've got to get the right things in order to rightly divide the word of truth. Verse 36, but of that day, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. He is not talking about the day that Titus would level the temple. He's not talking about these other things. He's talking about the day of the Lord. So here Jesus has entered into his great lesson on the day of the Lord. And this other, these other three points that he made were the obstacles in the minds of the disciples that had to be dealt with before he could teach on the day of the Lord. If he had started his whole discourse of that day and that hour knoweth no man, his disciples would have been lost and their minds would have been swimming with these three questions that were holding them from being able to understand and rightly discern what Christ was going to say. So Christ began by answering their unasked questions, by by telling them something that would draw out those questions. And then he launched into his discourse on the day of the Lord and warnings about the day of the Lord. Again, the day of the Lord, go back and and look it up. If you haven't heard the messages that we did before in the other verses in First Thessalonians, you can go back and look those up. For those of you that are online, I encourage you to look those up. Read Thessalonians. The day of the Lord is not only a 24-hour period. It is a thousand-year reign, according to Second um, Peter. And according to many places in the Bible, if you try and if you try and make all of the references to the day of the Lord fit in one moment, you're going to have a bowl of spaghetti. It is a it, there's snapshots. When God talks about the day of the Lord, he gives you snapshots from multiple points in the day of the Lord. And the day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day with the Lord. So he gives you the human 24 hour day and he gives you the God, God's perspective, thousand year day. Both are right. Both are there. You must rightly divide the day of the Lord is kicked off with the catching away of the church as we've, we've been studying this. Go back and check it out. The church will be caught up to meet the Lord, and that's why you have this here in this passage where you have some taken and others left, um, and that's how I understand it. Again, other people see this differently. I didn't see it this way till I studied it and prayed over it. This is what I believe. This is where I'm at. I've got to preach it the way I believe it. That doesn't mean I, I don't have any respect for people that see things a little different because I do. In any in any case, um, this is <clears throat> this is what I believe to be the rightly divided Matthew twenty four. Um, he says, "Watch therefore in verse forty two, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come." 
And again, I encourage you, go back. We looked at this in a lot more detail in the last lesson. That's why we ran out of time. And he tells here, uh, he speaks of these servants that aren't ready whenever the Lord cometh. Speaking of the Jews, um, smiting fellow servants, eating and drinking with the drunken. This is the state of the average Jew today, living in um, rep. <laughs> living in reprobate sin and rejection of their own Messiah. If we're the chosen people of God, I wish he'd choose somebody else being a common saint of the Jew. So here they are, um, and they will be cut asunder and appointed their portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is the tribulation. Here, Matthew 25, as we jump into this, Lord, help us today. Help me again, Lord, to be humble. Lord, I have nothing except what I received of you, and anything that I've added to it will be burned away at judgment. I pray that you'd help me to preach right. Help me to preach straight. Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Thessalonians, he's telling them, ye are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. This frightful, fearful day of the Lord that's coming that should overtake you. Here in Matthew 25 are some people that are overtaken in the day of the Lord. It starts out, there are, and there's three here, and this is not a coincidence. There are three um, separate operations, three separate parts to the coming of the Lord. Three separate major events in this day of of the Lord, three separate comings of the Lord in a sense within the coming of the Lord. <coughs> and the three are one. And that's just like God to do it that way. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, says Psalms 119 and verse 105. So here are these virgins and they took no oil with them. So these are people who believe in God. These are people who trust in God. And I'll give you... um, Um, I'll just um, throw in a hint right here. These are Jews. Um, This has application to believers in the church age, but this is written again to the Jew. Jesus was talking to Jews about Jewish events and Jewish eschatology on the Jewish mountain of Mount of Olives. And here he's speaking to these Jews. Here you have five wise virgins, five foolish virgins. And if you go to Revelation, you have the 144,000 who were virgins. And this is a type of the nation of Israel and the remnant of Israel in the wise virgins. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Today, you have Orthodox Jews who are holding the scriptures, who are protecting the scriptures. They've not recognized the New Testament as scripture, but they still hold to Moses. And they try to hold to the Old Testament, but they have no oil in their vessels. They have none of the Holy Spirit of God, yet they're trying to keep the word of God. Well, the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh. By the way, Jesus said that he comes as a thief in the night. And here is Jesus coming at midnight. There was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They got their Bibles. They went back to the word of God. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. At this point, the bridegroom coming back, this is a major key phrase. God doesn't waste words. You have the bridegroom coming back for his bride. A bridegroom isn't a bridegroom without a bride, but the virgins are there who are not part of the bride. And here you have these who are part of Israel who 
who have um, who are part of the Israeli covenant, but who are believers in God. And you have five of them who have oil in their vessels, like Saul, who became Paul whenever God met him on the road to Damascus. And Ananias prayed over him and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And the scales fell from his eyes. And Paul became filled with the Holy Ghost and began to preach the word of God. And he would be considered one, the equivalent of one of these wise virgins. And he says there in Romans 9 and 10 and 11, hath God cast away Israel? God forbid. He says, for I also am an Israelite. And he says of the stock of Benjamin and speaks of his literal physical lineage as an Israelite. So here you have the five foolish virgins with no oil. These are the unbelieving Jews. And you have five virgins with oil, the believing Jews. The cry is made and the virgins all trim their lamps. But the foolish virgins say, our lamps have gone out. And for the first time in over 2,000 years, the Jews who've rejected Christ understand that they don't understand. When they hear the voice of the bridegroom, and I believe this with all my heart, that the Jews are going to hear the voice of the bridegroom. When he comes back for his bride, they're going to have a Saul of Tarshish experience like he had on the road to Damascus. And instead of going with the bridegroom, they're going to get left behind. They're going to see the the bright light. They're going to hear the voice. But whenever the voice is gone and the light is gone, they're going to be here on earth. They have no oil. The wise say, we can't give you oil. Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And well, they went to buy the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut they went in where to the marriage and the what was shut the door was shut this ties into revelation chapter 4 where the apostle john saw a door open in heaven and a voice that said come up hither and i will show thee things that will be hereafter i probably butchered that up trying to quote it now you can read that revelation 4 and the first verses there (coughs) so here The bride is in heaven with the believing Jews for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bridegroom has gone into heaven. The door is shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So here they are outside of the marriage. Here they are outside of the marriage supper and their Lord has said, I know you not. And they're going through the tribulation with the rest of the world. This is the first part of the coming of the Lord, the lightning going from the east, even unto the west. God tells us we are not of the darkness. You're, you're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. He's speaking to his true church. Now the application to the church today is that those who name the name of Christ, but have no oil in their vessels. Those who come to church and they give to missions and they sing in the choir and they lead the youth and they drive the buses and they sweep the floors and they do all the extra events and they serve at the church house and they try to live right and they dress right and they talk right and they act right, but they have no oil in their vessels. They've never been born again by the power of God. Whenever you're born again by the power of God, the Bible says that you are baptized into one 
body by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Holy, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God baptizes a new convert immediately upon his true belief in Jesus Christ into the body of Christ, and he becomes part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence. Jesus said, if any man believe in me, he says, the Father will come. We, The Holy Spirit will come. He says, we will make our abode in him. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. And here are these that have oil in their vessels. And because they have oil in their vessels, they are ready when the, <coughs> when the bridegroom comes. <coughs> now, there will be those that have just a little bit of oil in there. And there'll be those that are full to overflowing with oil. But if you've got oil, bless God, you're going to make it in. Now, that being said, we move on to here to the second part of the coming. The first part of the coming deals with the catching away. The second part of the coming here uh, deals with Christ coming at the beginning of the millennial reign. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And again, this ties in with Isaiah 40:10. His reward is with him and his work is before him. He delivered his goods and unto one he gave five talents to another two and to another one to every man according to his own to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Again, here's him making him ruler. The first time he's a bridegroom coming for his bride, and there are virgins who are friends of the bridegroom who are sitting by when he comes for his bride. Here in this second parable, he is a ruler, a Lord coming back with his work before him and his reward with him. And he's giving the reward and he's assigning cities to be ruled over. And this points to the millennial reign of Christ. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast what is thine. This is really key, really important. Where did he hide the talent? In the earth. Hold on to that thought. He says, um, his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundantly. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth now some people want to try and apply this straight away to the church Jesus said henceforth I call you not servants but friends the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth but the but the friend does he says and we are according to Christ friends and children and joint heirs with Christ as part of the church here are his servants and these are the Jews and he's committed to 
them the talents. And what are the talents? Um, you could liken this to the Ten Commandments, and possibly it lines up there. But the basic idea of the talents is the Scripture. And he gives the, um, he gives the Scriptures to these people. Maybe that Ten Commandments doesn't line up. I, I got tangled up there in my thoughts. Um, Lord, help me. See, I'm, I am just a feeble man trying my best to um, expound on this as the Lord would have me. So in any case, he's this. the ten talents here, uh, or the talents that he delivers, the five and the two and the one, these talents have to do with his word and with his commandments and with his laws and with all of the covenant that he gave to Israel. Um, Luke chapter 12 deals with this thought. I didn't actually get that written down, did I? Lord, help me. Where is my note? Luke chapter 12. I'm going to find it here. Um, Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupted. And he tells them, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching when he returneth from what when look at it verse 36 but ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the lord when he will return from the wedding the wedding the doctrine of the bride of christ is essential to understanding um eschatology if you don't understand the bride at all you're not going to get it here's the wedding the man is coming back from the wedding and the servants are waiting and opening the door for him and they open immediately he says blessed are they that whom when the lord when he cometh shall find watching verily i say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them and if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants and this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come he would have watched there's that thief again jesus christ being the thief and not have suffered his house to be broken through be ye therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when ye think not (coughs) so here this one ties in with jesus is coming back to his servants after the wedding he goes on his long journey he comes back after the wedding does that make sense (coughs) excuse me and here he tells the unprofitable servant he takes the talent and casts the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth this is not talking about hell there will be darkness in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell but this is not talking about hell this darkness that they're cast into is out of the presence of the king and out of the covenant and out of the blessings these will be cast out you remember in Nehemiah's day there were many people who were supposed to be of the lineage of the priests but they could not prove their lineage and their genealogy and they were put out from the priesthood until a priest should arise with the urim and the thummim was the commandment given so here this is the same sense that these will be cast out into outer darkness they'll be cast out from the presence of the lord cast out of the city of the lord cast out of the inheritance of israel it will be those faithful jews that inherit the ones that were murmured in the wilderness and would not believe and because of their unbelief they appointed a captain to go back to the land of bondage were were not allowed to inherit the promised land the same thing will happen in the end times the jews that have been unfaithful will not be allowed to inherit 
but the Jews that have been faithful and that God converts through the great provocation of jealousy, which is the catching away of the bride, those that become converted as Saul Tarshish was converted, those will inherit. (coughs) So this is the second coming of the Lord here. And this ties in the first one, the bride of Christ, the marriage is there in revelation 19 and it happens post tribulation, the catching up of the bride or during the tribulation and the catching up of the bride happens pre tribulation revelation chapter four. So here in the second part of Christ's coming, Matthew 25, 14, um, and on down to verse through verse 30. This part correlates with Revelation 19, 12, his coming with his eyes as a flame of fire. <coughs> so this third part of the coming of the Son of Man, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. I'm going to preach this the best I can see it, the best I understand it, and hope that you'll have mercy on me if you understand it better than I do. But let's at least stick to the Bible. And if you're going extra biblical for your um, for your understanding of this, you're wrong. By the way, there's no private interpretation. I'm either right or wrong here. I might be right about some of it and wrong about some of it, but I'm either right or wrong. God's word is right. And if I preach it wrong, I'm the one that's wrong. Matthew 25, 31 here, he's got a throne, all the angels. Now the Bible says he will not judge the, the righteous with the wicked. When you get to Revelation 20, you see the final judgment of the damned only. Here in Revelation um, 20, verse 31, you see a separation of the sheep and the goats and then the eternal fire. And you can see by the judgments here, The judgment of the first coming is that they are left out. They're not caught up. The judgment of the second of second coming is to be put out into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the final judgment that comes in the section verse 31 through the end of the chapter. This is everlasting punishment in verse 46 where they're cast into hell fire. Now hold on to your hat here. I'll do the best I can. Hang on there. So here's the great white throne of judgment about to happen and the separation, the gathering of all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Now this is going to be a very valid question. There's several things that used to really puzzle me about this text. Number one, if this is the final judgment, I was asking the same question. When saw we thee naked? Because in the millennial reign, that won't be happening. He'll be ruling with a rod of iron. But the king will answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he also say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now this destroys the ability to apply this passage to the millennial reign. Because during the millennial reign, Christ does not cast all of the goats into the lake of fire. They live there on earth in a utopian society, locked in for a thousand years 
until Satan's bound again and they rebel with Satan. This depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, lines up with Revelation 20, starting in verse 11, the great white throne of judgment. So here where they saw him, they're going to ask the same question. They're going to say, when saw we thee? Because you see, it's been a thousand years since the tribulation. And the tribulation is where they misused his servants. They're going to say here, when saw we thee? Um, verse 44, when saw we thee and hungered or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee, then shall he answer them saying, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So here where he's judging these and he's saying, when saw we thee hungry, thirsty, etc." He's referring back to what happened during the tribulation. So here, whenever he's telling them, when ye saw the least of these, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. During the tribulation, if you will not take the mark of the beast, you will not be allowed to buy or sell. Anyone that, ha- that refuses to have mercy on the Jews is going to be judged here primarily for that. Those that have no mercy on the followers of Christ will be judged for it. Those that have mercy on the followers of Christ and enter into their sufferings will find mercy. And you have this separation of the sheep from the goats. You'll notice here in Matthew 25, and some of you think I'm way off the deep end. I can't help that. I've just got to preach it um, the best I can the way I see it. But you see here that here there is no mention of anybody being dead and resurrected in any one of these comings. These are the dealings of Christ as he comes, his dealings with the people who are alive on the face of the earth when he comes. His first dealing deals with those who are waiting and watching alive on the face of the earth when he comes. His second one deals with those who are alive, serving him with the talents he gave them when he comes. And his third are those that are alive at the final judgment of the world whenever he separates his sheep from the goats and he finally finishes and concludes the judgment of the earth that he started when he came back and put all rule under his feet. That's when he comes back with the holy angels. And it says in chapter 26, verse 1, And it came to pass uh, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, um, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So here he's going up to be crucified. All of this part was a mystery. The age of grace was a mystery. The church age was a mystery. The Gentile church was a mystery that God would pause his eschatological timeline and put a hold in what he was doing was a thing that was hidden. And it's all through the Old Testament, but it's it's overshadowed by the king and the kingdom so that you don't see it as quickly as you see the king and the kingdom. And they had missed that thing. But here, Jesus is telling his church in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, through the apostle Paul, as he breathes the very words into the apostle and oversees every scratch of the pen upon the paper and preserves it down throughout the millennia to us today, perfect and inspired and preserved without error. He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. We looked at three groups of people of whom that day will overtake them as a thief. We looked at three judgments 
judgments that will come on those that will um, that the day will overtake them as a thief. The first thing that we saw was that they had no oil in their vessels and they were left behind. The second thing that we saw was that they hid their talents in the earth. And this is going to speak of those Jews and apply to the believers, which will in that day spiritually be Jewish proselytes. They will not be part of the church during the tribulation. They will be saints with the Jews if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand how all that works, but I understand that much of it. And that's about all I understand of it. So um, if you want me to get any deeper, I'm, that's as far as that's as deep as I've gotten. But during the tribulation, those saints that believe and that say that they believe in Jesus will be judged Jew and proselyte Gentile alike by what they did with the talents. And those that hid their talents in the earth will be cut asunder and their portion appointed with the hypocrites. Now think about this, all you survivalist tribulationites out there. If you go and hide in the tribulation, you're going to be cut asunder and your portion appointed with the hypocrites. You have got two things that you can do. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time to hide and never a time to flee because there is. But if you will not stand for Christ in the tribulation, you will be appointed a portion with the hypocrites, even if you do survive it. So you can stockpile, you can hide your guns and your ammunition and your seven years worth of food. But if you make it through the tribulation hiding out in the woods and you don't stand for Christ, you will be appointed a portion with the hypocrites. So that's for all the survivalists out here that think that they're going to hang out and hide out through the tribulation. What did that, what did that foolish servant say? He said, Lord, here's your talent. I hid it in the earth. Here, have what is thine. And there's going to be some people that survived the tribulation that come up to King Jesus at the end of it and say, we believed in you all the time. We hid in the woods the whole time. We never got caught if any actually managed to do it. And they'll say, here, have what is thine. And he'll say, you get your portion with the hypocrites. Didn't Jesus say, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you at my coming? Yes, he did. He said, if you'll not confess me before men, I'll not confess you before the Father and his holy angels. So we see, first of all, that these people that were of the darkness, that were of the night, they did not have oil. They had a lamp, but they had no oil. So the difference between someone who is of the day, of the light, and of the darkness is not the lamp. What's your lamp? Hold it up. It's not your upbringing that makes you a child of the day. It's whether or not the Holy Spirit of God has born a new creature inside of you called born again in the Bible. Whether or not you've been born again by the power of God, baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit, which is totally different from the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Pentecost where he poured out his Spirit upon those people and they all spake with tongues. For all you guys out there that want to make it all about sign gifts. What this is, is when you are born again, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and you become a new creature in Christ. Has nothing to do with signs. Uh, the church at Pentecost was already saved and they had already received the Holy Ghost. Jesus had already given it to them. I know some people say, well, that was just, the, that was just Jesus saying it and it didn't really happen. You show me anywhere in Scripture where Jesus gave a commandment that didn't happen when he gave it. I'd like to see it. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the dry land appear, and the dry land appeared. On and on and on. When Jesus said, 
It's going to happen. It happened. He said to the, to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And the wind stopped and the waves stopped. When Jesus gives a command, the devils come out, the wind is stilled, the waves are stopped, the light shines in the darkness, and whenever some person, individual, turns from their sins, repents, and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh, he died for your sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried, he rose again the third day, as the Son of God and the Son of Man, fully God, fully man, and he went to heaven and put his blood on the mercy seat, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God baptizes you into the body of Christ and you become a joint heir with Christ. You've got oil in your vessel and those with oil in their vessels are the ones that went. The first thing about the children of the darkness is they had no oil in their vessel. The second part of the children of darkness is that they hide the talent. They either don't have the talent or they hide the talent. Those that do have it hide it away and there's an (coughs) and there's an application to the church today god has given you his word what are you doing with it are you hiding it are you hiding it in the earth does anybody even know you're a christian and those of you that run around shooting your mouth off and saying you're a christian are you living like it or are you hiding your talent in the dirt and the filth of your stinking rotten sin and your lasciviousness and turning the grace of god into lasciviousness today these of the darkness had no oil these of the darkness hid the talent in the earth and these of the darkness had no answer when jesus christ come back and said and as much as you have done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And if you've not done it unto the least of these, you've not done it unto me. What are you doing with God today? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. We're running out of time today. We might have to finish um, the next verse tomorrow. We're kind of stuck in half verses. But when we get into that, we can look at the children of the light, the children of the day. We're not of the night and we're not of the darkness. God uses these terms specifically we'll see if we can get it real quick here first um, john chapter one and verse one jesus is introduced as the word and the word is the light in john chapter eight jesus says i am the light of the word of the world psalms 119 says thy word is a lamp unto my feet a light unto my path you can go to isaiah chapter eight and verse 20 and there in chapter nine and verse two as that prophecy about jesus being born in bethlehem describes him as a light shining in them that dwell in the shadow of death. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Jesus Christ that will be that light in that day. What about the children of the day? 2 Samuel 23, 4 speaks of the day of the Lord that's coming as a bright, when the sun rises, that's when Jesus Christ returns in power and in glory as a clear shining after rain. The children of the day means that you're not children of the night. What does this mean for eschatology? What does this mean for escapism? What does this mean for past, post-trib, mid-trib, all-around trib, through the middle of trib, pre-trib, rapture of the church, etc.? What does this mean? If you are saved, ye are all the children of the light, he says, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. The foolish virgins get left out in the darkness at midnight. The foolish virgins don't get to go into the day. The unprofitable servant who hid his talent is a 
is cast out into outer darkness. Ye are not the children of darkness. Ye are not of the night. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you'll be coming back with Jesus Christ when he comes. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment, says Jude in the second to last book of the Bible in verse 14. If you are a child of the day, then you are not appointed to wrath. You will not go through the tribulation if you are born again. Indeed, your tribulation is today. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Yea, and all who shall live godly, who, who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you are born again and godly in Christ Jesus, you are suffering um, persecution today. You are in your tribulation today at varying degrees and varying levels of persecution, but you are not children of the darkness. Little flock, do not fear. Jesus Christ has not appointed you to wrath. You are not going through wrath. Do you hear me today? You are not appointed to wrath. These people that feed on this stuff and they say, oh, the, the church has got to go through the tribulation and they're talking about themselves. Makes me wonder sometimes, some of them, if they're even saved. I know you don't got to have all this down to be saved, but sometimes it makes me wonder, what are they even looking for? What are, They have no hope except to go through wrath. They're looking for wrath. They're looking for anguish. They're looking for suffering. They're hiding from the end times, stockpiling all this kind of stuff that's going on. What on earth are they looking for? Are they even saved? I don't know. Of course, I can't see their heart, but the fruit doesn't indicate saved. We are children of the light, children of the day, not children of the night, not children of the darkness. You have not been appointed to wrath. Look at our text real quick as we wrap up today. He says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of day. We are not of the light nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's not saying you've got to do this to be a child of light. He's saying you will do this because you are. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Look at verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will come as a thief to the enemies, but to his bride, he comes as a bridegroom. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take this feeble effort and use it. Use it, Lord, even though I'm not worthy. Even though, Lord, I'm not wise, I'm not smart, I'm not anything special, Lord God. I don't ask you to use this because of me or my education or my great job of studying, because none of that would even be true, Lord. I just ask you to use this for the glory of your son because you've chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the base things to confound them which are mighty, the weak things, Father. And Lord, we worship you today and we thank you, Lord, that we're not children of the darkness. We're not children of the night. We're not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. And we worship you today for the blessed hope that we have through the name and the word, the name of Jesus Christ, the word of God and the written word of God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen.